If you've got a question, the voices of resin are here. Plastics. Plastics is an SPE sponsored podcast. Hey. Good evening. How's it going? Oh, it is just wonderful here. It's I think it's like 70. So basically wow. beach weather. Oh my gosh, but like night beach weather. Well, a good night swim never hurt no one. This might be the latest that we've ever recorded. I know we're way past my bedtime. <laughs> at 8 p.m. <laughs> Listen, I need well, my pudding cup and I need to go to bed. And I am not joking. Both of those things are very real. <laughs> well, I am Mercedes Landazuri. And I'm Lindsay Nebel. And with our powers combined, we are Plastics. Plastics. The voices yeah. of resin. We never get that on time. <laughs> uh, so I am, uh, what is my title now? Color Lab Technology Director for Peacock Colors and uh, on a few boards for SPE. Um, I don't know what your title is because I can barely send you the correct email address. Um, I am uh, a project engineer for Tech Tank in Erie, Pennsylvania. I'm the vice president of membership engagement for SPE. And for those, of, for those of, of you who don't know, um, SPE is the Society of Plastics Engineers or Inspiring Plastics Professionals. Super plasticky. So um, on this uh, podcast, we uh, we talk about all things plastics. We talk uh, to people who work for companies that use plastic. Um, we talk about alternate alternatives to plastic. All things all things plastic. Anything. Yeah. Easy plastics. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you can listen to us uh, wherever you get podcasts. So um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all the all the the all the podcast places. Feel free to leave reviews. Um, don't make them too mean. I will. She'll take I, it personally. I'll take it very personally. She'll spiral. She will spiral. I spiral all the time. <laughs> She's, we're all very fragile right now. We're all very fragile. So, yeah. Make them uplifting, uplifting at the very least. Um, so uh, you can, uh, we, we uh, SPE sponsors this podcast and they release it the first Friday of every month. Um, you can also find us on social media, um, plastics, pretty much everywhere. Yeah. And there Socials. is no I between the plast and chicks. But we don't it. mind if you call us plastic chicks. That's fine. I'm okay with it. Oh, but the title is plastic chicks. So if you want to find us, you can drop the I. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we do have a special guest with us today. We're not ignoring him. Nope. Nope. We know he's here. Um, so today we are tonight, I guess um, we actually have Adam Baker, who is the founder and CEO of Soda Pop, which I am very familiar with in my own line of work. Um, and I'm just gonna keep it short because I don't want to spoil all the fun about uh, Soda Pop. So welcome. Welcome, Adam. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here. What fun. And where are you? Where are you today? Uh, I am in Boulder, Colorado, which is where we are headquartered. Ah, mountain time. Which is where we should have been for Antec at our annual technical conference. Boulder, but Colorado. I'm counting the state. So tell us, uh, tell us about Soda Pup. Well, Soda Pup uh, started out as a hobby business after I left corporate life, and um, I th- thought there was opportunity in the pet space, and had just spent several years making uh, lots of plastic shoes at Crocs, and um, 
Yeah, so I, I started this brand called Soda Pup. And in the beginning, we were very focused on durable, natural rubber dog toys. And, um, you know, we focus in the power chewer market. So there are only a certain number of shapes you can get away with in rubber uh, before a dog will destroy it. So I kept thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I should make nylon toys because there's all these shapes that I want to do <clears throat> that I wouldn't dream of doing in rubber because it wouldn't be durable enough. And then lo and behold, one day out of the blue, I got a cold call from Tech Tank in Erie, PA, Nick no, Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's just funny how it happened because, you know, I had all these concepts already developed, but um, but really no, you know, no sourcing plan or I didn't know the first things, first thing about plastics. So it was just funny that he called. And I think even Nick was a little bit taken aback uh, because in the two years since we've worked together, I think I've done 40 new products with them. Uh, so it's been almost two a month for two years. It's been crazy. Wow. And super fun because I get to do all kinds of things that I couldn't do uh, with rubber. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I will say, you know, on, on the other end of it, it's really fun to see the shapes and the colors and, you know, uh, that's not something most manufacturers, I feel like, well, Mercedes, you're literally in color, but, uh, but like, as you know, coming from other types of custom injection molding, you know, we would run shades of white and it would be like, is it this white or this white? Oh, well, it's this white. That's not exciting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so how, tell, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, maybe I'll get into the other question first, because you did, you did mention the, uh, the C word Crocs. Um, <laughs> so, so you have an interesting background when, you know, looking at, at your, your CV, you worked for what is highly regarded as one of the coolest footwear uh, companies of all time, Nike. Right. And then you've also worked for Crocs. How does that, how does that come about? Well, you know, it's a long and winding road. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I do, do want to interject and say that right now, uh, me and my mom gang out here in Erie, we're all rocking the uh, Croc sandals. So oh, nice. I would say they are the coolest. <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to insinuate, Mercedes, but the mom gang is rocking them. OK, well, I am a mom. And my children have never seen me in cracks, but I, I do support. I mean, every there's a place and a time for everything. Listen, if they're cool enough for Drew Barrymore and Post Malone, they're cool enough for you. Right. That's, right? that's true. I guess that that's true. Maybe you know what? I should, now you're talking me into it. I need to get I need to find some like I'll fly send you crocs. the link. I'll send you the link. Part of our gang. <laughs> so, so so Nike was was pretty early on in your career. Yeah. Yeah. So I, as I was saying, it's a kind of a long and winding road. I mean, my undergraduate degree is in geology. And then I went and uh, I was an officer in the Coast Guard for five years. And then I left the service, got an MBA, and then um, went to work for Nike after my MBA. So um, uh, can you, I'm sorry. Yeah. Just me. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah. No worries. So we've just moved into a new um, warehouse, and that was the landlord coming by to say hi. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, three times bigger, and it's already filling up. So 
Nice. Um, so, yeah, so I went to work for Nike and I actually worked on the apparel side. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an amazing 10 years. I mean, it's like, if you're going to go work for a consumer products company, it's like, you know, a Harvard MBA in consumer <laughs> products. And then I uh, left Nike and went to the dark side. Uh, I went to work for Under Armour and uh, where I was the vice president of apparel. And uh, that was an amazing experience because they were still quite young. They were actually private when I when I joined the company. Oh, wow. We IPO'd when I was there, which was, you know, once in a lifetime kind of experience. Um, and so just to be a part of that and to really learn firsthand about entrepreneurship and, you know, what Kevin Plank did to to create this little company and, and become a major force in the sporting goods industry. So that was, uh, you know, if, if Nike was a Harvard MBA of consumer products brands, then, you know, Under Armour was an amazing startup experience for me. Wow. Kind of crazy to call it, you know, I know. Time, $200 million. It's not exactly a startup. But they, yeah. You know, that's what I was like. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But that's, that's, that's so, that's so cool to see a company go from, you know, from, from startup feel to, to IPO to gosh, even like following where it is now, just really right. amazing stuff yeah. that they're doing there. I mean, I was there, we went from about 200 million to the first billion and then I left. Um, and, and I loved, I loved it there, but, um, you know, I wanted to raise my family digging in the dirt and playing in the mountains. So we moved to Colorado and Crocs was the opportunity. So I got headhunted for that position. I ran, um, product management for Crocs. So they were really struggling in 2008. The auditing firm had issued a going concern against them, uh, basically suggesting that they didn't think they were a viable company. So it was uh, was very much tooth and nail for a while uh, as we right-sized through the recession and retooled the product strategy and, and, um, and recovered. And it was an amazing four years. It was a difficult situation because, you know, it was a, it was a shrinking business when I arrived. And um, so to define a new direction and, and mm-hmm. understand where that brand could go, uh, you know, where the consumer would allow it to go, um, was a, it was a really fun challenge, um, very different from anything I'd done in the past. And it was my first footwear experience. Um, of course, it's not traditional footwear. Um, it, it's a little bit, uh, it's easier than, than traditional footwear because of sizing and fit and so on. But it was great because I got to see a lot of really cool manufacturing of uh, EVA materials and um, super, super fun experience. Very and cool. then, um, you know, I did four years there. And honestly, I've, I was kind of uh, burned out on corporate life after that. And I've been watching the pet industry uh, in 2008 during the deepest part of the recession. So I was at Crocs from 2008 to 2012. And uh, the pet industry grew by 4% in 2008. And I thought, well, that's pretty interesting. This is a recession-proof business. Um, and I love dogs. We have three dogs. And I thought, well, you know, I should, I should take a look at that industry. Maybe, um, you know, I'd always wondered whether I could be successful as an entrepreneur and create something from nothing. So that's what I did. I, I jumped ship and, and started um, my first iteration of this business, um, which was not actually molded product. It was um, 
I originally started with a, did a licensing deal with Cloudstar Corporation. They had a trademark called Wagmore Bark Less. And I, I was building a lifestyle brand for dog lovers. A little bit like life is good, except um, specific to dog lovers. And um, anyway, through a, a series of events and, you know, I won't get into all of that, but uh, they sold their business and the new owners didn't want to continue with the license. So I had to do a quick pivot. Hmm. And the thing that we heard over and over again of all the products that we entered under Wagmore Barkless, under that brand, people loved the dog toys. So I was like, okay. Uh, And we were making those in China. So what people were saying is we love your dog toys. We need more options, but we really wish they were made in the U.S., so as luck would have it, I had a friend who knew a rubber manufacturer uh, here just outside of Boulder. And uh, I went up and met with him. It turns out he produced Kong rubber toys for about 15 years and was a real expert in rubber toy manufacturing. So I pivoted and we started making exclusively dog toys uh, and we rebranded as Soda Pop. Very cool. And and manufacturing too in the U.S., uh, I mean, unless you're you're manufacturing China going over there all the time. You can't go through as many iterations, right? With the different products and colors well, and things like that. Is The bigger challenge, honestly, is um, the biggest challenge is mold costs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with rubber, the cure times are quite long. So you're only going to get four cycles an hour when you're producing rubber products. So you need very high capacity molds. So most mm-hmm. of our molds on the rubber side are 16 to 24 cavities. They're very, very expensive. But once you've got the mold, then you can be competitive with China uh, from a cost perspective. So, um, you know, without getting into all the, the details about how we did that, we came up with a formula that allowed us to produce new toys very, very frequently, like every month um, with no debt. We just found big customers that needed new toys. And my deal with them is I own the molds and the designs we're going to produce for you for the first month. And after that, you know, we'll make money on subsequent customers. I just needed to cover the cost of the mold. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. And so we made more and more rubber toys. And, you know, I really was itching to diversify and offer different product types and do different shapes. And, uh, and then Nick called from tech tank and had all these nylon toy ideas. And, you know, our philosophy is different from, from most brands. Um, because I come from a consumer products background, when I when I came into this space, I didn't really understand what other brands were doing. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. How do you mean? Well, it wasn't very imaginative, first of all. So specifically in the nylon space, um, you know, everybody's doing dog bones. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw, you know, some of your uh, CAD files and I was like, these are for, this is dog this is for dogs. And, <laughs> and then the more I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, if I had a dog, I would totally pick this over like a bone. More exciting. Yeah, I mean, the reality is that um, dogs don't care. <laughs> so, so to only do dog bones is highly unimaginative. And I get it. You know, there's certainly a place for that. Um, but I have, you know, studiously avoided doing bone shapes up until just very recently. Um, because I didn't think the market needed more of that. I think it needed novelty. And so, you know, the way we think about dog toys is that we build dog toys for people. 
and and we know that they work for dogs. So, you know, some some fun facts about the pet industry, 53% of American households have a dog. 53%. I mean, it's astounding wow. amount. Uh, so something like 61 million households have dogs. And then if you look at all those people, you know, it's fair to, to assume that they're very diverse. You know, those 61 million households, not everybody is alike, right? So if you're a, a fashionista who lives on the Upper East Side of New York and you carry a Birkin bag and you got a four pound dog that you carry in your purse, you know, you're a very different type of dog owner than a duck hunter with a pickup truck and <laughs> right. who likes to hunt on the weekend. That's my family has <laughs> a lab in the back. Mm-hmm. So, and you and so to put markets to both. Correct. Yes. So, yeah. So what we did is we created collections or sub brands, whatever you want to call them, um, targeting each of these different types of customers. So we so the kind of the flagship brand, Sotopop, it's inspired by junk food. So we have soda cans and coffee cups and popcorn and lifesavers and things like that. And then, um, you know, we've got another brand called USA Canine, and that's inspired by military objects, you know, the number one skew. Of everything we make, the number one skew is a grenade. And the reason oh, oh, I've seen that. I yeah. saw that, and that was so well. I, I, when I visited Tech Tank, this would have been a while back, but uh, yeah. But I was, you know, I was like, I think that maybe this was the customer that <laughs> Lindsay was talking about. I was like, well, what so we do we do? A nylon that? grenade, and we also do a rubber grenade uh-huh. in uh-huh. three sizes and multiple multiple different uh, compounds, but. Um, uh, you know, that's our number one skew. And the reason is, is because we don't have any competition there because other people, other brands um, aren't willing to do a risky design, you know? Yeah. It's- I can see why grenades would be offensive to some people, but, you know, the reality is it resonates with a lot of consumers. It's a lot of veterans and, you know, military folks and law enforcement and so on. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty funny to see, you know, whenever there's a new... Uh, tool of yours on the floor and you know some people be like why are why are we making this what is this and like totally don't get it but those are the same people that like the next you know part we run they're like I love this this is so great it's just there's always just like this split of people you know getting it or not getting it um yeah you know the drawback uh, as a brand is getting to people getting people to understand that it's actually a dog toy. So right. I think it works fine in pet distribution, but if you're selling in a grocery store, it might be more difficult to understand. So there are pros and cons to the strategy, but, um, but we're getting tremendous pickup right now. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, as they say in, you know, business parlance, the, the flywheel is starting to spin. So after all the hard work getting it to move, all of a sudden we've got orders coming in from France and Belgium and Germany and Taiwan. And it's crazy. That's amazing. So it's been I wanna, oh, Adam, I want to go back to one thing that you said um, that when you moved to Boulder, you said you wanted your family to be um, digging in the dirt and playing in the mountains. Then yeah. that I was like, okay, well, geology, right. Going back to, to what you studied at, um, at Middlebury. <sighs> What, um, how, how are you from Vermont originally or? Uh, no, I grew up in Massachusetts, but, okay. um, 
you know, how did you how did you end up at Middlebury? It's it's fascinating to me because you don't see a lot of people um, in the manufacturing space who have a liberal arts background. I actually did a Middlebury's program. I was technically a Middlebury student for a year in Russia. No, I, oh, really? I did one of their programs there. Yeah, of course, they're famous for, for their sure. programs. <laughs> um, well, I'm a legacy. Both my parents went to Middlebury. And and frankly, I'm just a nature guy. I, I like being outdoors. I mean, that's my, my bliss. You know, put me on a bike or a motorcycle or a pair of skis or a snowboard or whatever it is. If I'm outside, I'm happy. Talk about swimming in the dark, which you mentioned earlier, Lindsay. See? We live on a lake and we did a, my family did an every damn day swim challenge last summer. We had to swim in the lake every day from Memorial Day to Labor Day, no matter what. So for, me, for me, getting home late from work, there were some late night swims. Uh, um, was there a, was there a time or um, distance that you had to commit to or could you, you just to get, hop in and get submerged, fully submerged. I will tell you that a lake on Memorial Day in Colorado is very uncomfortable. <laughs> so, but my my uh, my older son, he won the challenge because he swam the day after Labor Day, and so he went one day extra. But what made it exceptional was that we had a freak snowstorm, oh and he swam in the snowstorm just to beat his parents. So, uh, wow, made it all worth no. it. I would have so, right anyway, out of that. <laughs> anyway, so Middlebury was, you know, partly I have a lot of family history there. Actually, both of my younger sisters ended up going there as well. Um, and I just wanted to be in a more rural environment. So that's how I wound up there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm very atypical. The fact that I've got, uh, a, I'm in this world now and that I, you know, had, went into a quasi-military organization. <laughs> All those things are quite unusual for a liberal arts grad from Middlebury. Mm -hmm. But the, I mean, you know, there's, well, there's certainly a lot of talk about diversity now and, but diversity of thought and how, um, how dynamic that can make an organization, right? When you get people who have lived through different experiences and come from different backgrounds and it can really enrich, um, the organization, you know, I mean, just like you said, you know, coming from, coming from uh, consumer um, driven companies, you know, you looked at this pet toy space in a very different way, you know, even, even that. Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that I'm not a pet industry insider works to my advantage. Mm -hmm. um, and, and honestly, that's the fun of it. Like, you know, if you, if you look at my career, uh, particularly once I hit the sporting goods industry and, and moved through my career there, you know, the common thread is I like to make stuff, you know, whether it's apparel or footwear or dog toys, it, I just love the creation process. And what I've really enjoyed about working with Tech Tank than just being in a new space is learning new materials. Like I didn't know anything about natural rubber and I had to educate myself on that. Um, and then, you know, to come in and, and work with, with Brock and Nick and Lindsay and, and that crew, you know, learning about plastics and, and you know, the, the molds are different. The, the kinds of designs that you do with rubber are different than what you can do in plastics. Um, because the material properties are so different. Um, you know, one of the things that we will be doing in the future is continue to push the envelope on materials and how we can continue to bring more novelty into the pet world through, you know, whether it's 
you know, recycled plastic bottle material. So we've got a green story. And I know that, you know, there's some folks out there already doing that. I would like to get back to that. Um, or just other types of finishes. And, you know, most recently we just entered the lick mat category, which is booming. So I'm sorry, the what? The lick mat. Category. Oh, it's very real. Oh, a lick mat <laughs> is, uh, yeah, Tech Tank knows all about lick mats, but. It sounds like a cat toy, but is it, it's a dog toy? Well, cats use them as well. It's not so much a toy as a, as a feeding system. So it's not a dog bowl. It is a mat and it has a texture on it. And then you smear soft food like yogurt and fruit or peanut butter, cottage cheese, whatever. You smear it down into the texture and then dogs or cats have to lick it out. And so, you know, dogs have natural foraging instincts. In fact, if you give a dog a toy with a treat in it versus a bowl of food, more often than not, the dog will go for the toy, even though it's easier to eat out of the bowl. And that's hmm. partly just their instinct. And so and I'm the opposite. I go for the easy food every time. <laughs> she does. She does. Sure. I've seen her. Bowl of chips. Well, that's funny. Well, I mean, when you're, I was thinking of it like, uh, you know, like a, a lick mat sounds like a, like a deconstructed Kong almost. You well, know? it, it, it's an enrichment toy, like a Kong, like many of my toys, you know, an enrichment toy, like a Kong classic or, uh, you know, a soda pop can toy is it's a hollow rubber treat dispenser that you can put things inside and then the dog has to figure out how to get the stuff out. So that is encouraging their foraging instincts. It, it engages their brains, keeps them occupied and uh, keeps them out of trouble. It helps with separation anxiety. It helps with crate training. You know, the, it's these are great products. And that's kind of where we focus. It's like intellectual engagement for pets. Exactly. Very and so, cool. and, and we'll come back to that on nylon in okay. a second, but just to finish the enrichment mat uh, conversation, the lick mat, we call ours E-mats. That's our trade name. And it's for enrichment mat because mm. that's really what it is. It's an enrichment activity for your dogs. And, you know, it helps them produce saliva, which is good for their digestion. It, it helps them stay calm and, and soothes them. The act of licking is soothing for them. So, um, but most of the products out there are very mundane. Like I just look at the designs. I'm like, this is just not very interesting. So we um, have been focused on novelty design. So our first design is a jigsaw puzzle. So it's, it is a cutout or it's like an outline of a jigsaw puzzle and that texture um, it's, it's deeper. I mean, our products are much nicer than what's out there. They're about 50% heavier. They're more durable. They're way more interesting. Um, it's beautiful product. And, you know, in the beginning, I was like, holy cow, are people going to pay $12.99 for this when everyone else, else in the market's at $7.99? And sure enough, people love them. So we're, we're doing, we do a jigsaw. We've, we do have a bone pattern, which is, um, I did do bones. <laughs> it's an asymmetrical. Came to peer pressure. But it's an asymmetrical print, so. I get a hall pass on that one. Cool. <laughs> we did honeycomb and we got flower power coming and there's all kinds of things we want. The honeycomb is my favorite. It's got a little bee. You know, and I'm, I'm regretting that we did that as a small. I might have to do that in a large as well because everyone who sees that 
loves it. It's a really good anyway. Bone. So so real quickly back to nylon. You know, one of the interesting things about a nylon bone is that dogs typically just chew the knuckles. They chew one end and then they chew the other end, and when they're done with that, you throw the toy away. So you're throwing away about eighty percent of the toy, and so. So we've been working on a number of designs because nylon is such a strong material. We thought, well, what if we just minimize the shaft? Well, mm-hmm. What if we did a, a different structure so we could take all the weight out of the shaft or most of the weight and put all that material in the knuckles where the dog is going to use it. So we did a product called the Honeybone, which um, uh, used that thinking um, and recently got picked up by Walmart as part of a private label program. So we're pretty excited about that. And then the second thing we did was we did kind of a, a modern bone shape where we took the shaft and then we put what, what we call treat pockets. So we put um, um, holes on the shaft that you can fill with food so that, that that shaft has functionality that it didn't have before. So, you know, innovation is so incremental um, but these are the kinds of incremental things that we're doing to say, well, how do we make, how do we take an existing product and just make it a little bit better, make it a little bit more interesting? And I think along that line, you know, so, you know, we're, we've covered the fact that you're not from a plastics background, right. um, you know, so what, what do you rely on um, in a manufacturer when you are, you know, trying to, you know, approach a new space like that, approach new product, um, you know, basically walking in and saying, I know what I want, but do you know how to get me what I want? What, what do you look for? Yeah. You know, what I primarily, what I look for is someone who is a really good communicator and, and is willing to, you know, fill me in. I ask a lot of questions. I'm, you know, reasonably intelligent uh, and I've been around molding for a while. So, you know, for sure there was a learning curve for me. Oh, I can't do a design that way. I would send a cat over to Brock and he'd say, well, we have to change this, that, and the other. And I'd be like, okay, why do we need to change that? And then he would explain it. You know, once he explained it once, it's like, okay, I know what to look out for in the future. So that was a learning curve. The other learning curve is around um, properties of the materials. So we've tried to do treat dispensers out of TPE. Um, It does not have the same properties as rubber. It doesn't have the same plasticity. Um, So, you know, I've, I've learned through a couple of designs what we can and can't do with TPE as a hollow treat dispenser versus other types of designs like balls and things that are more solid shaped um, or mats for that matter. With nylon, you know, just learning about all the different types of um, novelty finishes and fills and, you know, we have this wood composite. We recently did a speckle. Um, We have looked at translucence and TPE. I mean, I love the novelty aspect (laughs) and, you know, and looking for ways to, to really ramp up the, the novelty because people love it and they're not accustomed to getting it. You know, in the pet industry, they're used to getting it in simple things like plush toys, but because, because molded products have higher barriers to entry because of the cost of the mold, people take fewer risks. Right. And, and, you know, there's a risk reward trade-off some things we do are home runs and other things we do are disasters, but you know, as long as you hit a couple of home runs every now and then, it's worth the risk. So how do you know when to pivot? Is that just numerical? Is it a feeling? 
Um, Night sweats? <laughs> no. Uh, I honestly, I would say it's it's primarily a, at this point for me, it's it's a feeling because you know I've run merchandising organizations, product lines most of my career. So you know, at some point you just don't need another rubber toy in a different shape. You know, there's a point of diminishing returns. And so, I mean, I realized uh, a while ago, it's like, okay, I really need to diversify a little bit here because I can't just do this one thing. I'm just trading sales. You know, I'm not selling more. I'm just selling the same amount in more SKUs. So, um, and, you know, I'm always looking for, things that are logical extensions of our brand like lick mats. It's a logical extension because it's molded and because it's an enrichment product. So that made sense for me to do. Um, even though historically I haven't been involved in feeding systems, I don't do dog bowls or at least not yet. Maybe I will. Um, and then and it won't you know, be bowl shapes. Yeah. Cool bowl shapes. Who says a bowl has to be round? Right. That's a great point. So like, these are the things that I look at and I'm like, boy, this could be so much more fun than it is. Mm -hmm. Or so much more effective. Right. I mean, the, the lick mat thing makes so much sense to me the same way. I mean, in, in manufacturing, a lot of times I feel like people will, uh, will just continue to do things the way they've always been done. And then you take a look at the, the ketchup bottle, right. That literally, flipped on its head, you know, and what a, what a great innovation that was, you know, for, for how many, you know, hundreds of years have, have bottles been designed, you know, this way. And then, you know, the innovation of just turning it upside down. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, and, you know, I don't know, for me, this, this is the fun is to not just to do my version of something that somebody else is doing, but to, to like see how, dogs use a product and then say, okay, how do we, how do we take it to the next place? Mm-hmm. So, so where do you go? Where do you guys go to for your design inspiration? Oh, that's a tough one because I, I am the main conceptualizer. I, I have a person that does CAD for me, but all the ideas pretty much come from me. And um, Did you say CAD or cat? CAD. No, I'm just kidding. It's all cat files. I do dog. <laughs> this person does cat. <laughs> They're very behind though. Um, although, you know, to be honest with you, some oftentimes, or at least sometimes, it's customers that say, like I was at a trade show several years ago, we had the canned toys and the customer said, oh, you got to do a coffee cup. I thought, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> um, so, and you know, most of our products look like other things. So, um you know, in that regard, it's not like I'm doing crazy ideas out of the blue, you know. You actually see a dog carrying a coffee cup away, like an owner chasing after their, their dog with a coffee cup. Ooh, we could do that. Well, you know, the deeper insight there is that the Soda Pup brand, um, you know, it's targeting suburban moms with a couple of kids and a dog. And, and croc loves- sandals. And her Crocs, that's right. And, you know, that mom loves her Starbucks or, you know, pick your local coffee company. And so the idea of a coffee cup is something that we thought, well, she's already got an emotional connection with that shape, that Mm. object. So what if we did a dog toy that looked like a coffee cup? So we're, we're trying to do things that 
people will actually have an emotional reaction to. So wow. if you if you back it up, when I when I decided to start this business, the, the real the, there were a couple of questions. The first question was, can I make something from nothing? Can I like create magic? Can I just have an idea and somehow bring it to life? That was the first question. And that's just more of a personal challenge for me. And then the second question was, can I make people care? Like, can I make them care about a dog toy company? Right? Just the way, you know, Brock, Brock likes Audis. You know, he doesn't have a Mercedes, he doesn't have a BMW, he's an Audi guy, right? He identifies with Audi. So some people are Nike people, other people are Under Armour people. So, but in a category like dog toys, do people care? Can they even name a dog toy brand? Um, and so that was the bigger challenge. And, and honestly, I had my doubts. Um, can I make people care about their dog toy brand? And so, you know, in this regard, Soda Pop is actually much more than just the objects that we make. You know, Soda Pop is... It's a veteran-owned business. It's, uh, you know, we specialize in American-made products. All of our materials are FDA compliant. Um, We give back to our community, primarily through dog toy donations, but we give generously back to the community. So all these other things are, um, I don't know, it's like, uh, I suppose it's a reflection of my own values. You know, I want to make things in the United States. I want to create jobs in my local community. I want to make sure that my dog toys are safe for people. So, uh, and what we're finding is people do care. People are falling in love with us, which is fascinating and rewarding. And, you know, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I will say uh, my mom's uh, German Shepherd Rottweiler is one of your test dogs, whether you know it or not. uh, (laughs) No, I've seen several pictures of the Rottweiler. And, uh, And, you know, that's... She always says, do you, do you have one of those ones that's like, and she always lists like one of the, one of your parts, um, like yeah. for the Halloween, the, the bats, those were the cutest, the cutest yeah. little things. Um, I, I kept them and actually I probably shouldn't announce this on a, a podcast <laughs> where CPS can find me, but um, my kids love playing with dog toys now and their favorite game is actually fetch and I do throw them and then they go fetch them. <laughs> them well, luckily they're FDA compliant. But... That's what I said. I said they're safe. Right. I, I do the TPE ones for the fetch. I don't throw the nylon ones, but <laughs> it's been a long lockdown. Like yes. it's been a long, you know, yeah. you find what toys work. <laughs> And, you know, the, the lockdown is actually, you know, obviously there's so many horrible things about it, um, but it's been great for the pet industry. People are home with their dogs and yeah. people are adopting dogs and, and people are spoiling their dogs. So, uh, you know, we've worked hard to stay safe and keep our doors open and keep everybody healthy. And, um, and it's been, you know, business-wise, it's been good for us. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I know uh, one of uh, 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 now a competitor company uh, uh, of mine that uh, the sales the, the salesperson um, to Lindsay, she got a uh, she got 
a dog during lockdown. So I don't know if she has some of your toys yet, but I bet she supplied some of some of the products. She yeah, she has supplied some of the product. Um, she doesn't have any of the toys yet because she hasn't been allowed in the building or to leave. Yeah, she's allowed in our building, but she hasn't been allowed to leave. I'll tell you what's interesting to me about uh, the plastics business, at least in the pet industry, is that after having made rubber toys for so many years and really having, you know, really high obstacles um, in terms of mold expense and minimum water quantities and so on, um, I'm just shocked that more people aren't producing their nylon and TPE toys in the U.S. because, you know, that that barrier to entry is so much lower hmm. because the cycle times are fast. So you, you don't need huge multi-cavity molds. You can get by with a couple of cavities. And, um, and I think you know, I just, I, I kind of look at it. I'm just like, wow, there are people asleep at the wheel. I think it's a lot of a uh, misconception too. Cause you know, I think when you typically think about injection molding, you think high expense to get in, but you know, um, high repeatability, high producibility, but I, I don't think people realize it's, especially in comparison to rubber, right. you know, it, it's going to be a lot easier and there are options to keep your costs, you know, low entry, essentially. Yeah. So Mercedes asked about what I was looking for. And, um, you know, one of the things that really impressed me when I first started working with Tech Tank, uh, because I was so cost conscious, uh, and I was looking to do multiple designs. It's not like I had one great idea and I was just going to increase one thing and be done with it. It was like, okay, my whole model is about repeatability. I need to templatize as much as I can and, and get these, get, you know, if there are ways to pay for something once and then reuse it over and over again to reduce the cost later on, then we should do that. And they were great in terms of helping me develop the, a frame system where we could just develop less expensive inserts. And um, and we've actually done similar things on the rubber side where we have runner systems where I can bolt on individual cavities. So I can mix and match cavities. And um, so there's been some cross pollination as well in terms of, you know, what I learned in one um, type of injection molding versus another. Was that a pun because of the honeycomb toy? I'm going to take it as a pun, even if it's not. <laughs> you know, we have a honey thing going on. We have we have the honey bone. We have a honeycomb mat. We've got <laughs> actually working on a rubber honey bear. Uh, you, you know the old uh, honey jars that are shaped? Yes. Like yeah. So we're doing a rubber toy in that shape, and I'm also doing a honey pot. So we're going to have a whole honey collection. Well, wow. you know, our, uh, our tool guy right now, he always – he's – he always says, you know, well, what part is it? And I'll tell him. And he's like, I don't know which honey thing that is. <laughs> yeah. So now I'll tell him there's some other things. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, you know, in terms of the partnership, I, in particular, you know, Brock's orientation is towards new product development and innovation. I listened to his podcast with you and he talked about not wanting to make, you know, 20 million bottle caps. Uh, he likes making new things. So to have, you know, him as a partner and 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 Nick and the whole team, you know, have them as a partner uh, pumping out lots of new ideas. I mean, that's just a match made in heaven for me because 
you know, a lot of manufacturing is pretty sleepy and slow moving and old school. So to, to, to meet up with uh, someone who's even more aggressive than I am is, <laughs> is really fun, right? We're kindred spirits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I said, it, it does make, it does make the, you know, project end of things fun. It makes it fun for people out on the floor to see new stuff and new colors and, you know, Oh, what's, you know, what's this new part? Oh, it's got some fancy effect in it or, you know, um, it, I think it just, it keeps, it keeps, you know, people on the floor engaged. They're not, you know, just running a thousand bottle caps or inspecting a thousand bottle caps a day right. they're they're looking at cool stuff and um you know thinking oh yeah I, I do kind of connect with it really well that's the perfect world if people come to work and they're actually engaged in what they're doing mm-hmm. right i mean you try to do that here uh, even just in jobs fulfilling orders picking and packing and you know try to find ways to keep people engaged and make the, the work interesting and um yeah, it's. Uh, I, I feel really blessed to have bumped into to the crew in Erie to uh, have a, as my partner in crime as we make all this stuff. And you know, it, it's a little bit of you know, as a as a young company, um, we're just planting a lot of seeds, right? You don't know what's going to stick, and oftentimes you need to be around for a little while before people pay much attention to you. Mm-hmm. And. Um, so being able to produce a lot of different things has helped because now that people are waking up to us and kind of discovering us for the first time, they're kind of blown away. It's like, how have I never heard about these guys? They have so much stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and then the volume comes. And so that's the other thing that, you know, I appreciate the fact that I've been able to do lower volumes in the beginning and then those have led to bigger programs. Mm-hmm. You know, we do a big program with Chewy. We do a big program with Walmart. So eventually the volume will come. Um, so it's nice to have partners that are willing to take risks with me in the beginning, you know? Because mm-hmm. so, yeah. a lot of people would be like, who is this guy? He has no experience. <laughs> I'm going to waste my time, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, they called you though. <laughs> well, that's I was true. Gonna say, yeah, <laughs> this is technically Nick, our fault. <laughs> that's right. Nick must have been desperate. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just about out of time, but I'm so curious because you've had you know all these different career paths, and you know you're at this really exciting time for Soda Pup. What what's next? What's on the horizon? Is there a pivot? Uh, you know, I'm just going to stick to my knitting and, and, you know, my goal is just to keep growing this business. Um, there, I mean, there's so much upside, you know, whether it be from a product creation standpoint or just, you know, broadening our reach, you know, the world is getting smaller. So it's, it's so much easier to market and sell globally, um, without a lot of infrastructure, which is the amazing thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm really focused on, just expanding the reach of, of what we're doing. Um, and that's going to keep me busy for a while. And, and you mentioned there'll be a retirement eventually, but my wife is, is pushing for it. I'm <laughs> too much fun. So what, so how many continents are you on now? Your products go to, uh, 
Well, let's see. We distribute in Australia and Singapore, Taiwan, China. Uh, Were we not supposed to send that box out to Antarctica? Australia, <laughs> Antarctica. Uh, Australia, you got to get those snow dogs. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Belgium, Norway, France. We shipped our first order to Germany today. We wow. have a distributor in Israel. We have a distributor in Ukraine, which I find fascinating. So, yeah, it's growing. I mean, these are all small businesses around the world, but, um, you know, baby steps. It counts. Yeah. Fantastic. Super fun. And it's just fun. You know, at the end of the day, business is, is just a vehicle. Like for me, it's a vehicle to do good in the world, right? To create yeah. jobs and give back and make some money while we're at it. Um, but, you know, the, the real rewards are are you know the relationships that you you make with people all around the world that's that's why i don't want to retire because mm -hmm. you know you walk away from all that and then it's like wow your world gets pretty small pretty quick <laughs> after yeah. what you've been doing you know as yeah as plastics industry nerds we we get that <laughs> yeah right <laughs> And it could be anything, and it happens to be plastics, and it happens to be dog toys, but it, it could have been something else. And But, I mean, this is why I, I love work. I love business for, for those reasons. Absolutely. Well, Adam Baker, thank you so much for, for taking the time to uh, to join us today. I actually have a lot of good notes that I'm going to be bringing back to my boss tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I loved some of those points that you said about the, just the just the startup mentality of can I create something from nothing and and can I make people care? I think that's that's really beautiful. Um, to, what a, what an amazing starting point for a company. I think the key is to be just you know be values based. Stick to your values, mm -hmm. and the rest will come. Don't take the shortcuts. Do the right things, mm -hmm. and uh, hopefully people will notice. Thank you so much, Adam. You bet. Thanks for having me. Inspirational and everything. <laughs> You've got a question, the voices of resin are here. Oh, plastics.